Judith Moses is a dear friend um, of St. Croix Church and of St. Stephen's University, uh, is the vice chair of the board of St. Stephen's University, and um, has worked in many roles, <laughs> um, serving um, public service roles uh, throughout her life. Um, and it's such a gift, Judith, to have you here with us today, um, to have the opportunity to hear your stories and to, and to learn from you. Um, and so thank you so much for, for coming and being willing to, to offer that gift to us today. Um, yeah, so I'm going to welcome you up, and I just have a tobacco offering to give you as well. standing for a while, but if I sit down, um, I'm just in the process of moving full-time from Toronto to St. Andrews, so I am almost officially a New Brunswick resident. I would like to uh, thank, for, thank you so much for having me. Um, Jess has been at me for some time, and we finally made it, made it work this weekend. I'd like to start off with a prayer uh, that uh, Indigenous uh, Anglicans and Episcopalians in the United States Use. I participate in a gospel-based discipleship of Indigenous people three times a week, and we always open with this prayer. Uh, we do it virtually, so we have a virtual circle, but imagine all of us uh, in a circle, because the circle is, is, is very important in Indigenous culture, and I, I'll come back to that. So let us pray. Creator, we give you thanks for all you are and all you bring to us for our visit within your creation. In Jesus, you place the gospel in the center of this sacred circle through which all creation is related. You show us the way to live a generous and compassionate life. Give us your strength to live together with respect and commitment as we grow in your spirit. For you are God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Um, I would also like to explain uh, the talking stick. Uh, this is something that's been in my family for a long time. A talking stick is, is very important in uh, indigenous cultures. There are, there are different forms of it. Some in out west, for example, it's a stone. And um, it is, it's, a, it's, it's something that's shared uh, when people are, are in circle. And it's a sign of humility, of respect, of truth telling. And uh, when it's present, uh, people uh, must respect what it stands for. Uh, some of the students in St. Stephen's University uh, made sticks, and it's not considered cultural appropriation if it's done in the supervision, under the supervision of an elder. Um, but it's, it's, very, it's a very meaningful thing. My children were raised uh, with this stick when we had family meetings, we would pass it around. So when you hold it, it signifies that you must speak the truth and that others must listen to you with all of their heart, their, their, their mind, and their soul. So I'm, I'm placing it here just so that you know that that's why it's, it's there. I'd like to talk uh, a little bit today about um, the, uh, indigenous, an indigenous church that is, is emerging um, within the Anglican church. And uh, it's been a difficult journey uh, because, I mean, for one thing, when you're in a much more structured organized religion is very difficult to change processes and worship. 
uh, and there are many people who are not only threatened by it, but resistant to it. So it's been a tough journey uh, for a group of Indigenous people to work together from across the country to try to recover some traditional spirituality and have that incorporated uh, into an Anglican tradition. Uh, we are still in the middle of doing that. Uh, we are still uh, in, 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 in dialogue uh, about how to do it. And um, there are so many different Indigenous cultures and languages uh, across the country, different forms of spirituality, that it's been a challenge for us to work together to come up with something that reflects the various cultures and geographies that we come from across the country. And this includes the Inuit um, as well. I'd like to talk a little bit also about how I think Indigenous culture can contribute to God's dream for all of us. Uh, and I, I do believe that a time has come where Indigenous spirituality and cultures are, are, are much more accepted now um, because of what they represent um, than, in, than in the past. So it's all about a process of unwinding colonialism and um, trying to set aside uh, the various things that were imposed, not just on Indigenous people, but on, on you as well, uh, in terms of how we think about each other and, and the world that we, that we live in. I'd like to talk a little bit about Romans 12. Romans 12, um, verse, verse uh, I don't know which verse it is, verse three or four, um, is very meaningful to me and to many indigenous people. And it's one that we, we come back to often um, because colonialism has divided indigenous people. We are, there are many different categories. There are status and non-status and, and um, there are indigenous people who are not allowed to live on a reserve, are not allowed to be buried on a reserve. And so there have been, over the years, there have been many, many uh, ways of dividing us. And so part of our journey is uh, to set aside those, those false things, those false narratives that divided us and to try to bring us together. And that is why this particular um, passage is, is very meaningful because it says, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, are one body in Christ, and individually members are uh, members one of another. Having gifts that differ on me according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with, with cheerfulness. So that speaks a little bit to the divisions that I've been talking about. Uh, and, and we tend to look now at, uh, and, and we have done this traditionally, and it's really a question of, of coming back to those traditions, of looking at each other as a community of talents. Uh, that each person is special, each person brings something to the community as a whole. And it's, it's important to understand that I think Indigenous people think in terms of community. Individuality traditionally has not existed. Uh, if you were an individual, you probably would starve to death or you would have been cast out. And, but so you rely, we rely traditionally on each other for hunting, fishing, all of that sort of thing. So every person had a role 
and the elders would often identify what those roles were if a child was good at remembering things. He could become a storyteller, she could become a storyteller, or a runner, whatever it was. It was recognized that all of these talents were integral to survival. And so that has carried through today. It is one, one tradition, I think, that is still very important in many, if not most, indigenous uh, uh, communities. And this whole notion of Western individuality has been very difficult for many people to get their, their minds around. So it is a community of interrelationship, of interdependence, uh, of interconnectedness. And these sorts of things lead to a set of values, I think, that, that relate to things like, um, like respect and loyalty and duty. Um, and, um, and having a reliable partner, partners in, in life's journey. So there was all, all, always a sense that together we will thrive. If not together, we will not, we will fail. Um, there are, in some indigenous languages, I, I, I'm told that in Niptitik, uh that the term reconciliation doesn't even exist because children or, or, or anyone in the community never gets unreconciled. Before they can stray, they are brought back in uh, to the fold. And so um, the sense of indigenous justice in many, many parts of the country uh, is... is um, uh, has been torn apart, I guess, by the concept that, you know, that there's a punishing justice system as opposed to a loving, caring, bringing people back into a circle of, of love and care. But all of those values do lead to um, a love uh, of, of community and um, uh, whether that's, you know, a, a spiritual love and an acceptance of, of every individual's both talents and shortcomings. And, and it's, it's understood that there will be shortcomings and that, um, that uh, uh, forgiveness is also a part of, of, of living in a, in a, communal, a communal setting. Um, and, and looking out for each other. Uh, children, there's that expression, uh, it takes a village. Well, it does take a village and it takes a whole community. And so the elders, the grannies, and the aunties, they look out for the young children. So the children are, are like a common resource, if you will. They're shared. And um, you know, so children roam around uh, communities. You can imagine what residential schools did for three generations of people where there were no children in communities. I mean, imagine going out in St. Stephen uh, and, and, and no children. So there's no laughter. There's, and the roles that people play traditionally in, in caring for children were completely torn asunder. Uh, not to mention the children. It isn't my plan to go there today. You know a lot about that. You've read a lot about it. And, and it, is, it is truly uh, disastrous. And it is one of the reasons why it's been so difficult for Indigenous people to recover uh, culture. Um, and in, in, in some cases, it may never be recovered. but. I would say that every Indigenous person is, is on a journey, a very personal journey, about how much to recover, how much was lost, how much is still relevant to, to, to life in a Western, Western uh, world. So when we talk about reconciliation, um, and those of you who are in, um, uh, have, have done some reconciliation stu studies in, in St. Stephen's University, know that the word reconcile is an inappropriate word because reconcile means that you were consiled at some point. 
and uh, that never did that never did happen. Uh, so, uh, but for, for indigenous people, it's a relevant word because we want to reconcile with what it is that we what we once were, once had, and what was lost. So, it's relevant in in that sense. But when you hear that word, I mean, I <laughs> we were never reconciled. You know, we were we had things imposed upon us very very early on. So, in, most indigenous people uh, are in a, still in crisis, and you don't see it when you see people, uh, you've met people, you don't know what people are going through in terms of that healing uh, and that, that crisis. Uh, I, and some of you from St. Stephen's University have heard my story, I come from a very different family because my uh, maternal uh, grandmothers were, were never put in residential schools. Uh, one because she moved back and forth between Canada and the United States on the Tuscarora Reserve and Niagara Falls and, and, and Six Nations. The other grandmother, because her father was the shopkeeper uh, on the reserve and because he was trusted with commerce, he was considered almost not indigenous and so his children uh, were never taken away. So. Unlike probably 99.9% .9 of indigenous families in Canada, my family does not have that, that history uh, uh, hanging over us. Having said that, my grandfather on uh, my maternal side did go to residential school. He went as a day student because the residential school was near Six Nations and he took a horse and buggy back and forth most days uh, because they were farmers. And Farmer, farming was the economic uh, imperative of the day, and so it was very important that the farms kept producing milk and everything else that they produced. So he was allowed to go home. Having said that, he was deaf in his left ear from having been beaten by uh, the Anglican nuns at the school that he attended. So we, and he, but my grandmother never allowed him to talk about his experience. I know nothing about the fact, uh, except that I did know the story. Um, and he did, did say that his nickname at school amongst the, um, the, um, uh, the nuns was Hayseed because he was a farmer. And, and, but he always said that it was it usually not in a, a nice way, a very pejorative term. But beyond that, we, I did not have that kind of healing and recovery process. So I'm very fortunate to have, have, have come through that. Uh, I also, we had a great-great-grandmother who was Irish and I had happened to inherit her light eyes and fair skin. None of my other siblings did and so the racial discrimination did, did follow them. I did not have as much of that uh, as, as they did and my brothers in particular had, had a, very, a very difficult um, uh, time and uh, one brother did commit suicide and all of them were uh, addicted to one thing or another. So. The overhang of being indigenous is, regardless of whether you were raised uh, through, under the residential school system or were uh, living on a reserve and, and had to leave the reserve to go to school, uh, that was was very, very um, manifest, I think, in, 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 in our upbringing. Our parents moved us from the Six Nations when we were very young because they did not want us to go through the same kind of discrimination that they had, of the bus taking the indigenous kids into Brantford and all the indigenous kids. We were called Indians in those days. 
all the Indians getting off the bus and kids taunting them. So we moved to Fort Erie and uh, we were the only indigenous family in a town that was probably, as I was told, had the highest per capita uh, number of, um, of uh, Italian immigrants. And so there were many dark-skinned people in Fort Erie. So um, I guess, you know, in terms of, of, of how far back to go in, in terms of, of uh, uh, recovery of our, of our culture, it's very, as I said, it's a very personal journey. But there are quite a few things that are, are critically important. And I would say the first one is, is language. And those of you who speak another language will know what I mean. There are forms of expression that, that are very different and are very telling about how uh, people see the world, how they experience the world. And so it's the, the vocabulary, the forms of expression um, that defined indigenous people. And I apologize, some of you have heard this story, but I, I chair something called the Jubilee Commission, which is creating, helping to create this indigenous church. And um, I look for a, a word in Mohawk uh, to uh, express my leadership in this because I was chairing it. And there were no words like that, even for men, let alone for women, outside of you know the chief. So the word that I settled on was kantineta, and it means uh, she who makes the grasses wave. So that's just an example of how feminine leadership was regarded. And so one of the elders in my group said, "Ah, but you know, wind can also be hurricanes." So go for it. <laughs> So, um, but that's, that's just an example. If you, if you don't know some words in your language, you don't know what, uh, what, what, um, what words actually mean. And, and it isn't just a question of taking Western vocabulary and translating it back. And of course, we do that all the time. But it has to go the other way as well, because there are these expressions that are just so incredibly deep and meaningful. Uh, the second thing relates to our concepts of the world and creation uh, and, and the stories. Indigenous people are amazing storytellers, and I don't know if any of you have ever been subjected to indigenous stories, but they go on and on and on. And when we do it prayers in many parts of the country, we pray for everything in the universe that moves. And you know, it just and, and that's just how it is. That's 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 what happens. And, so, so we never really talk about, um, uh, uh, that, I mean, you, you don't just have morality by saying, you know, here are the, here are the uh, seven grandfather teachings. It's all done in story. It's, it's, a, it's something that, that you take away and you have to think about and reflect on. So it's never that black and white. And I tell you, even at my age, I listen to some elders and I think, what the heck is he saying? I don't understand where this is going. And then it doesn't occur to me until much later what he was actually saying. Mm -hmm. So it, listening is an incredibly important part of the culture. So children are taught to think for themselves at quite young ages because they don't just say, do this, don't do that. Here's, the, here's a story, but what happens if you don't do this? And some of you know I, I brought um, a corn husk doll to uh, St. Stephen's University and told the story about the, the doll with no face because the little girl had became vain from looking in the water and seeing her beautiful face that the great spirit erased her face. And so that was a lesson to children, you know, not to, not to 
become too vain. So those are just examples of, of, of what the stories were. Um, the stories of the story of creation. There are, and, and there are many indigenous stories of creation. I can't even tell you how many there are. Um, but they're all beautiful stories, um, and there, there are some things that are shared in common that relate to, um, to uh, Mother Earth and uh, uh, the importance of, the, um, of a turtle as, uh, as, 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 as Mother Earth. But um, all, of cre all of the elements of creation um, become part of these, these creation stories, and I love some of the ones um, from the uh, OG Cree stories of, of of stars being being the beginning of creation and and um, uh, but anyway, there the, every 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 culture has has its own its own way of describing that. Um, the third thing that I would mention is about this whole realm of of indigenous knowledge and uh, I mean it's got to the point where I mean I did some work with the government of Ontario. Um, there is actually. Uh, something called now, you know, in, in traditional knowledge that is recognized and must be a part of research and, and analysis. So, uh, so that that uh, it may it may sound like just a bunch of stories from a bunch of old men and old women, but actually there there are elements of truth to many of these stories, um, and they're based on you know millennia of experience uh, with the land and with uh, so. So within that, there are ways of, of helping to protect the environment of not overfishing. I once went for a walk in the woods with an elder, um, and he could tell by the sound of the crackling of the pine cones that we walked on when it last rained. So you know, it's an example of of this knowledge. You know, uh, is that important today when you can measure how much pre precipitation there actually was? Well. Maybe, but there have been ways in the past of uh, managing the environment and surviving, coexisting in, 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 uh, in, in the land. Uh, the Seven Grandfather teachings um, are, excuse me just for one moment, but I pulled my knee with, during the move this past week. Um, the, the grandfather teachings of love, respect, courage, honesty, wisdom, humility, and truth. Now, uh, uh, they're not the Ten Commandments, but they're, they're are, they are value-laden, and, and um, uh, you can see how some of, with some of the traditional teachings, it was not difficult for uh, many Indigenous people to embrace Christianity. Uh, there was a lot of coherence in the early days. Uh, I've read just a little bit. Uh, some of you may have actually done some research on this, but uh, so in the early days, there was much more interrelationship between settlers and, and indigenous people, but over time that became a relationship of exploitation. Uh, but it, but uh, uh, I guess what I'm saying is that, is that um, the similarities uh, at the time were enough to resonate with indigenous people. So we have had a notion, have a notion of a creator. Uh, uh, Jesus translates into many indigenous language something along the lines of creator sets free. So when we pray, we talk about creator sets free. Um, and and uh, uh, there are probably other, other translations as well, but the best way to understand that was the, 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 the creator spirit and, and, uh, and the sun being the person who frees uh, uh, indigenous people um, to enter the spirit world. So there, it's very complicated, but 
um, it, it leads to the fact that you know there's a strong belief in a spirit world and an afterlife, and so. Um, there is a sense that the ancestors are still around. And uh, I remember my mother had surgery a few years ago uh, before she passed away. And um, she, when she came out, she said, uh, I said, how was it? Were you, were you afraid? She said, no, not really. One of the ancestors was there. She held my hand the whole time. So this is the kind of thing I grew up with, right? <laughs> and um, uh, so that, so it has always been been very real to me. I mean, I had no idea as a child that not everybody thought this way, but that's, 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 that's what happened. Um, the cultural ceremonies and spirituality um, practices of indigenous people uh, have been really, really damaged. I can't tell you how much has been lost and may, may never uh, be recovered. Uh, but for many years, I think it was until um, maybe it was 1950, I forget, 51 or 61, that um, uh, it, was, it was illegal for indigenous people to practice traditional spiritualities. Our forms of spirituality, we have uh, masks, <coughs> we have, a, we have, we have a, um, a face mask in the, the Delaware from Six Nations. They were all forcibly removed. Many of these things were hidden um, from the government. Uh, but most of it was taken and is is being recovered, has been recovered. A lot of stuff was just stolen and is in museums around the world. And so we're still trying to recover a lot of the symbols of, of traditional uh, spirituality and you know what the mask actually uh, meant uh, in, in our, our own culture. So these things have been, um, obviously they're, they're, they're uh, diminished a lot more in places that had early contact uh, with white settlers. So I would imagine that this part of the country would really have to have hidden their ceremonies well, um, and, and my part of the country as well. But if I go up north, in northern Ontario, northern Manitoba, the symbols are still there. They're still very strong. And, and um, uh, so uh, they are helping to teach us uh, to bring them back. and. Um, and I really uh, love working with some of my uh, relatives from, from northern Manitoba and northern Ontario. Um, and many of us are adopting their forms of spirituality because we don't have our own in, um, in many cases. Uh, I was telling Walter that from six, in six Nations where I come from, we had to make a deliberate choice very early on whether to be Christian or not. And in many cases, it was, it was forced, it was not an acceptance. Uh, but the longhouse, the traditional chiefs, um, basically had to operate underground. All of our longhouses, which are our houses of worship traditionally, were closed. Um, they are some of them are still there, they're falling down. But the longhouse traditions prevailed, and they would meet in secret, and they would practice their ceremonies in secret. But what it has meant today is, unfortunately, really, really deep division in the community between the Christian community and the, the Longhouse. And um, so uh, if you're a Christian, um, you don't have access to the traditional ceremonies and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it hasn't happened like that in other parts of the country, but in the Haudenosaunee country, that, that, has, that has been what, what happened. Um, the final thing that I want to mention that is incredibly important, and this is, I don't even, I, I sometimes words fail me to, to describe this, but that is the interrelationship with all of creation. That people are not, we're not the only ones in creation. That um, 
uh, we're not even the most important ones in creation. So, you know, the eagle, uh, the turtle, all of the, the bear, I mean, all of these are really important symbols in our, 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 our world. And people are just one of the things that's there. And so this interrelationship with all of creation is, um, it's just something we've grown, we've grown up with. And um, uh, so that ap applies to, as I said, all the, the elders who pray for everything in the, the air, the land, the, the water, all the things that crawl therein. Um, all of this is, is there to, uh, uh, for the, it shows the creator is with us, like always, every minute, everywhere we go. I always have a hard time in the big city when I go to Toronto. After a while, I start to get depressed because I can't see creation there. I can't relate to it. And what's that Japanese expression of forest bathing? I mean, there is a, there is, there is definitely an emerging um, a sense of wellness and how important it is to, to connect to nature. But um, for indigenous people, it's just an inherent connection um, to all everything that surrounds us. I was once in a in the last couple of years in a Bible study group, non-indigenous Bible study group, and the leader said, "I'd like everyone to think about the last time that you experienced God's presence." And I thought, what a question! Because you know, you just look around, you look up, and and I have this thing that eagles follow me. I mean, everywhere I look, if I want to see an eagle, there's an eagle. So. You could probably say the same thing. You just don't look for it. I don't, I look for eagles um, because they're very important. Um, uh, and, and the eagle is signifies the creator on earth, and, and it's the animal that flies the highest towards towards the heavens. So the presence of the creator in all of creation is is a concept that's very difficult to impart to people who didn't weren't raised uh, with that. Uh, and within that, that, the whole notion of the circle comes from that interconnectedness of everything. And so it's not just the natural world, it is the spirit world, it's the, it's the, the ancestors, it's the unborn children, it's the importance of the seventh generation. And all of that is um, reflected in the concept of, 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 a, of a circle. Uh, so uh, even uh, taking decisions, for example, um, uh, as I'm looking at the financing for this ind indigenous church, part of my job is to say, in seven generations, what will this look like? How will this be supported? And it's just a way of, 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 of thinking that is just how we do it. <laughs> so um, that, that is, again, it's, it's not just strategic planning, it's, you know, you could call it other things, but, uh, when you really look at it, you know, my great, 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 how will they experience uh, this, this, this world? Um, so, thinking about what colonialism has taken away, how to unwind that in ways that reveal what we have lost is, 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 is really important. And, uh, I mean, I like staying in five-star hotels, and I don't intend to give that up. But, you know, and I, and I don't like sleeping in a sleeping bag. So, you know, there are things that individually we will decide what is relevant and what, what isn't um, relevant. Um, so, uh, I guess I would just conclude by talking a little bit about the, how the Western Christ and how the Western Christ has influenced indigenous um, uh, Christianity. Um, 
and, and but I think the more important part of that is, you know, absolutely, uh, a Western notion of of Christ is has been something that was imposed upon us. Uh, I always, I mean, I grew up thinking that uh, you know Christ had blonde hair and blue eyes uh, because a minister at our church on the reserve had blonde hair and and and, and blue eyes. Um, I mean, even today, uh, you know, I talk to Asian people or others who who uh, are offended by the notion of a, of a white Christ, you know, and and, and so uh, this this is so important to my identity. I can't even explain how important it is to be able to see yourself in in your worship, and so that is something that the Indigenous uh, Anglicans are, are working on. Um, uh, our indigenous spirituality has not influenced Christianity enough. Mm -hmm. And and that um, is something that we are working on. And we have recently drafted uh, something that's called uh, our covenant and our way of life. And it's both a constitution for, for that gives us authorities and legal powers, but it's also a fundamental expression of indigenous Anglicans, um, who we are and, and what we strive for. I guess I would conclude by just saying that um, I, I, I would make a, uh, a request for tolerance uh, as Indigenous people find their, their, their sea legs again in their own culture. Um, and those of you in St. Stephen's University who have been involved in uh, creating Indigenous studies um, uh, programs, uh, it's very difficult to find Indigenous people who are willing to come and educate you. And if you find them, it's, you're very, very fortunate because most Indigenous people are still struggling. Mm -hmm. They're struggling so much with themselves and their communities and the damage that has been done, they don't have an ounce of energy to give to you. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, quote, reconciliation, um, Indigenous people aren't anxious to reconcile. I have to say this, you know, it's, it will happen eventually. I personally get very frustrated with some of my brothers and sisters who don't see the opportunity that is presented in society these days to reach out. But I understand why they can't reach out yet. And so I guess I just ask for tolerance for a lot of Indigenous people who are going through uh, their own personal journeys um, at, at this point in time. And once that journey is, is completed for individuals and whole groups of individuals, um, uh, then I think that there will be much more uh, ability to reach out and, 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 and build bridges. Um, and so we've taken a bit of a, of a risk with uh, St. Stephen's University by saying there are non-Indigenous people who want to do that. And, and, and so how do we do that? How do we, how do we start the bridge from the other side um, and, and begin to, you, to not build it because the building has to be done by Indigenous people, but to prepare the groundwork prepare a foundation at least from the other side of the river, you know, so that uh, when Indigenous people are ready to build that bridge, there will be receptivity there um, within a non-Indigenous community and hopefully some of the graduates of our graduate studies programs uh, here at St. Stephen's University. So let me, um, let me conclude with um, uh, a prayer, um, a blessing of the people. And this also comes from our Indigenous um, prayer book. Creator, who is a strong foundation for all who put their trust in you, to whom all things in heaven, on earth, below the earth, seen and unseen, come from you. 
be now and always our health and fulfillment of life now and in all time. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.